So hey guys, we're back for another one, and uh, this is uh, you're gonna love you, you're gonna love Ernest. Ernest has been on before. Um, Ernest Marsh, uh, who is a reenactor for Bass Reeves, and uh, he's doing all sorts of other reenacting, and he's a producer and a stuntman and a writer, and I I, I think he details cars on the side, and I, I mean he's in, <laughs> he's into everything. But um, he, we lasted, if you want to know more about Ernest, go back to July 30th, 2022 in the archives and bring that one up and uh, you can learn all about Ernest. Before, before we do that, I want to thank my second family over at the Wild West History Association. I urge you to join and become a member. This year, our roundup for 2023 is in San Antonio, Texas, and we're going to be visiting the Alamo and all the historic spots in San Antonio. Uh, if you want to know more about the Wild West History Association, go to wildwesthistory.org. I also want to thank my friends Mark and Eric over the Tombstone Epitaph, Arizona's longest-running newspaper. Uh, you can find them at tombstoneepitaph.com, and uh, you can be a subscriber. Uh, you know, year-to-year -year is 25 bucks, but if you go three-year, it's $60, it saves $15 overall, and it gets delivered right to your door, and you get Western history, true researched. You know, if, if you're like me, I don't like all that fantasy, fake history. I don't like it. I, I prefer true researched history that um, has uh, by historians and research and writers and folks like Ernest that bring the history alive. Uh, that's what I like. And so if you like that and you want it in a newspaper, Go to tombstoneepitaph.com. So if you're on Facebook and you're following any Western sites, Ernest is everywhere. But he's also everywhere in the fact that the person he portrays, which is Bass Reeves, is now being made into a major uh, television series by Taylor Sheridan and... He, I think Bass Reeves, because uh, I'm going to be interviewing Art Burton soon, but Bass Reeves is a story that needed to be told. And I didn't really understand the history of, of how much and how long this story has been trying to get told until I talked to Ernest. And hello, sir. Welcome. Welcome back. Good morning. How are you, Mike? Good. So, Thanks for having me. Yeah, so you... You contacted me and you said, Mike, I, let's do this. I want to come back on. And I said, okay, let's do it. And here we are. But the story of Bass Reeves has been taking, taking a long time to get to to the screen because you had mentioned yes, that Morgan Freeman had tried to do it and others have tried to do it. Can you can you tell that story? Right. Uh, this is uh, – Art Burton's basically been researching Bass for four decades and uh, think about, you know, four decades ago when you had to go to uh, microfilm to look at archival information. And that's basically where, where he started. Uh, now the research is a lot easier through the Internet and through uh, digital records. Um, but Morgan Freeman uh, had mentioned, the, you know, that he was going to uh, or would like to uh, portray it. it. It would have been great. It would have been fantastic. Uh, so it's it hasn't is that it hasn't happened. But uh, as I see in the local news now, uh, he has picked up that torch again uh, through his uh, 
Revelations Entertainment, along with Lori McCleary, to, 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 to do something. And um, this is basically the second go-round for Morgan is saying that he's going to do something. And I just hope it gets done. Um, because, like you said, the story, the story needs to be told. But why do you think it is now? Unless it's because of the clout that T- Taylor Sheridan has because of, you know, Yellowstone and, and 1883 and all that. Why do you think it is now that Bass Reeve, I mean, Bass Reeve, the story about him is hot. Like he's all of a sudden he's, he's everywhere. He's, you're seeing him in magazines and he's being discussed in, in today's culture. Why do you think all of a sudden Bass Reeves is now, a hot commodity. It's it's uh, Bass was been in the media, uh, small bits and pieces, um, but basically, as far as you know, mainstream media, it's happened as a result of uh, the Black Lives Matter movement in regards to how the Black American West has affected. Uh, the westward expansion and when i was on the set for 1883 and when the story broke through you know the hollywood tabloids um i you know approached taylor and i said thank you congratulations for uh bringing you know the bash reef story uh to the screen and his words to me were Yes, I'm going to get this done. I mean, like when Taylor says something, that's golden, and and that's what what started uh, this. What's being filmed right now and here in Texas, uh, you know, 1883, the Bass Reeves story, or just a simple title of Bass Reeves because Paramount hasn't really decided which way they wanted to go with that. But while I was on the set of 1883, David Owallo and his wife Jessica also appeared on the set <clears throat> and uh, there was, you know, some, you know, kind of talk that, yeah, baby bass is going to make an appearance in 1883 uh, somewhere when the wagon train uh, was crossing over into the Indian territory. Well, that didn't happen. Um, but as I spoke to David, I congratulated him on the role sort of like, uh, oink, oink, wink, wink. Uh, it should have been for me, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, but, uh, I think David, he says, thank you. Then his wife, Jessica, says, oh, David, look at Ernest's mustache. He looks more like Bash Reeves. <laughs> so we so we all laughed. Uh, but, yeah, that's that was the sort of the start. Um, and there was one scene in, ba- in uh, 1883 where uh, it's called the Fort Worth, the first episode. And Taylor uh, pulls me aside. He says, hey, I want you to do this for me. I didn't know what it was. I was dressed as a black cowboy. But I went up to the livery booth just before Kim McGraw uh, checked in, and I cashed out. I threw some money over over the counter, tipped my hat, and walked away. And I'm thinking maybe that was the first time that people get a picture that Bass Reeves was in the was, is in the territory, is in is in Texas. Um, and I go off and get my horse and watch the match, watch the match race go down the the main street. But uh, it's it's been a long time in coming, and it's great that Bass is getting the notoriety that he deserves. It's worldwide notoriety uh, because Bass is really strong in in uh, Europe. Uh, 
I just did a, a European documentary uh, through the uh, Art ARKE network, uh, French and German uh, culture, and uh, that will be aired uh, in Europe uh, sometime uh, this this year. And you know we'll be able to see it here in America with uh, English subtitles. So Bass is international. Uh, there's an international uh, French comic book uh, called Lucky Luke. Um, it's, it's, it's this sort of thing that Bass has captured the, uh, people's attention in regards to his, uh, accomplishments that he was the greatest American hero in the wild west frontier. Well, explain the history about Bass short and, you know, he's got a huge life. Explain to the listener about Bass and the fact that he was... He didn't read or write, correct? And yet, that's correct. And yet, he became this, one of the most is, prolific is, lawmen yeah. in the Western history. So explain that. Yeah, this is how I explain it because I do a play as well uh, on stage, uh, which I performed uh, two years ago um, at the uh, National uh, Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum in Oklahoma City. The Bass Reeves came from a from a a political family. Uh, he was owned by a political family. Uh, the uh, the Reeves, uh, William Steele Reeves, uh, was a senator up in Arkansas, Crawford County. And in 1846, he decides to, to uproot his family to come to Texas because of free land. And so they make the trek. Uh, you know, he picks up his plantation, puts them on covered wagons, and comes down to. Um, Grayson County, uh, Texas, bringing Bass uh, and six other slaves. Um, so when Bass is in Texas, uh, in Grayson County, one of uh, William Stills Reeves' son, the fifth, the fifth son, uh, is now appointed um, the Grayson County tax collector because when they came here to Texas, uh, William Steele Reeves got uh, one section of land, uh, 640 acres. That's one mile by one mile by one mile by one mile. And this other son's got, you know, smaller, you know, acreage as well. So they had a pretty big plantation uh, working there in Grayson County. And that was the the deal was when he got this free land, they asked William Steele uh, Reeves, where do you want your land to be patented? And he says, Grayson County, I'm going to make a new county. Uh, he didn't want it to be in Fannin County. He didn't want it to be in Tarrant County. He said, I'm going to make a new county. And, and Grayson, so Grayson was born, uh, and the county seat was in Sherman. The That part of Texas is what's referred to as the old Texas road that comes down through the Indian Territory all the way down to, to Mexico. And it was a, a, a major commerce road. Um, you know, today, you know, we think of like Highway 35 uh, as being the corridor through through uh, Texas north, you know, north to south. The Bass was a, a privileged person being that his mother, and I'll say this, uh, that many believe that Bass is... Uh, William Steele Reeves' son uh, through his mother and uh, because she was a mistress uh, a slave in the, in the household and she was able to 
politic her way uh, to get Bass also a privilege of not being in the field as a field hand uh, to be more uh, assigned to household duties and later on being, uh, you know, where the ownership changed from father to son to be uh, George Reeves's uh, personal valet and manservant. Um, so when they're here, when the Reeves family is here, is here in 1846, Bass is privileged to that close contact with the Reeves. He's learning how to carry himself. He's learning how to, how to talk. Uh, he's learning how uh, important civil duty is. And he wanted to learn how to read and write because he believed in the Bible. His mother constantly read, you know, quoted scripture to him. But it was illegal for uh, slaves to uh, be, uh, be taught how to read and write. Uh, so that's what ended up with Bass. And there was a number of other slaves that couldn't read or write as well uh, throughout history. But Bass took it as a handicap and developed other senses in regards to uh, how he was able to compensate for the inability to read and write. Uh, and one of those uh, that we later know in history with him is that he had a fantastic memory and, and recall. I'm listening. So I'm, I'm still here. Bass, yeah. So Bass basically grew up in Texas, Grayson County, from the age of seven uh, when he arrived in 1846 up until the age of 23 when he left uh, in October of 1861 to accompany uh, George Reeves, uh, who mustered uh, into the 11th Texas Cavalry uh, on the Confederate side. Uh, he mustered in as a as a colonel. So Bass Reeves. Uh, was his manservant and went into uh, uh, war with him as his personal valet. Uh, and people sort of get this idea that blacks fought for the South or they took up arms. Uh, no, that's, that's, not, that's not the case. They were there to accompany their masters and take care of their needs, uh, just like they did on the plantation. Um, and it was, uh, you know, a well known thing that uh, on the Confederate side that you had these personal valets uh, helping with, uh, uh, you know, normally the officers. Um, but you also had another cadre of slaves that were teamsters, that were cooks, that were laborers uh, as well. Uh, and whether they, they you know, donned the, the Confederate uniform, maybe yes, some did, maybe some didn't, or most of them didn't. But uh, but that's that's that sort of uh, thing that people uh, like to say. Well, blacks fought on the on the Confederate side. No, they they were there unwillingly because uh, they were impressed to 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 be there, and because uh, they were they were the property of of their of their masters. Hmm. Uh, so Bass went into this uh, Civil War and realized at some point in time that uh, he he got into an argument with uh, his uh, with George uh, and the story says that they, they got into a card game and uh, Bass had uh, words with him and which led to an altercation well uh, being that uh, Bass got in the altercation he knew the consequences of his punishment uh, sometimes a severe whipping uh, it might be the cutting of his uh, Achilles, you know, uh, uh, to to slow him down. It might be the cutting out of his tongue. Uh, 
uh, or insubordination. But he knew the consequences, so he, therefore he, he, he ran away. He took off on his own knowing that he had some kind of punishment to face as a result of his uh, uprising against uh, his uh, master, George Reeves. Um, and I like to tell people that they played, they were playing a card game, which was a, you know, a custom, uh, that they did throughout their whole lives growing up. Uh, George Reeves was 12 years older than Bass. So therefore, you know, George had this brotherly, uh, sort of impression on Bass. Um, even though they were half brothers, they were, uh, constantly, you know, uh, in each other's company, um, and also, uh, doing things together. So playing cards would not have been abnormal or out of the ordinary uh, because uh, personal servants was, uh, were also uh, the master's confidant uh, in regards to uh, what they did on day to day because they knew, they knew him inside and out. Um, so when Bass left, uh, he, uh, you know, sought refuge within the Indian territory and uh, be, befriended um the natives and there he uh, uh, learned the ways of the Indians. Uh, he learned the ways of their, their languages uh, as far as, you know, speaking it and uh, talking it. And this goes back to his um, compensating for his inability to read or write. Therefore he was more attuned to learning different tongues as well uh, to be able to speak being that Bass grew up as a upper servant, um, he understood how uh, he understood the white dialect because he was constantly around uh, the Reeves growing up. He understood, you know, slave dialect because when he went home and spent time with his mother, so he had the ability to understand the difference, you know, dialects within people that he was surrounded by. And then now he's surrounded around the Indians, so he learned that dialect as well. Um, but while he was in the Indian territory, he learned the lay of the land. He learned the, the terrain. You know, he learned where the water sources were. He, he, he learned, you know, the best places to, to cross rivers, uh, you know, what to avoid as far as, you know, uh, you know, the natural uh, uh things that could get him in trouble as far as snakes, as far as maybe poison oak, poison ivy, all these different things that, that he uh, would eventually use in his law enforcement career. So when he was in the Indian Territory, he also took up arms with what's called the Indian Guard uh, because within the Indian Territory, it was basically split 50-50. Half of the Indians fought for the Confederacy, other half fought for the Union, the, the, the Union. And we think of the five tribes being in the Indian Territory as a result of being uh, placed there through the Indian Removal Act uh, of 1830, the Trail of Tears. Uh, so we came up, that you come up with the five tribes. Uh, I don't say civilized that's what they're referred to as, right. you know, the Choctaw, the Cherokee, um, the, the uh, Chickasaw, uh, the Seminole, and the Creek. And uh, to me, uh, they're, they're, they're Indians that are just as um, astute as a white 
southern plantation owner. They weren't living in teepees. They weren't like the Plains Indians. They, these these Indians had a language. They had a, they had governments. Uh, they built schools. Uh, you know, banks, newspapers, uh, and they lived in houses, mansions, uh, and and they carried on uh, commerce like anyone at where everybody else was carrying on commerce. Uh, so that's sort of where this word civilized come from is that they were civilized in the way that they took, took on, uh, the, the Anglos way of life. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Bass, he, um, fought for the Indian guard and through, uh, 1865. And, uh, he had made friends with, uh, Apil, uh Chief Apiole which was the Creek chief and helped him get to Kansas, uh, because of the, uh, pers- you know, the persecution that they were getting from the, from the Confederates, uh, Indians. And Bass was going to stay in Kansas, but he was told by the chief to make it back to the Indian territory. Um, and that's where you sort of, we sort of lose Bass's history in regards to the end of the war, 1865 to 1875. But we know that Bass got married in 1864 to uh, Jenny Haynes uh, uh, because she was a person that uh, a mulatto person that grew up in Sherman, Grayson County. And, uh, you know, she was born in 1850. Uh, Bass was born in 1838. So that's she was a lot younger than Bass. Uh, and. So um, I, I'm strike that she was born in 1840, uh, two years older than Bass, and but they met in Sherman when Bass was doing his uh, valet service. You know, as a maybe he was driving the the buggy uh, for for Mister uh, George Reese, but he had eyes on her. They fell in love and uh, started you know uh, their relationship, and we know that. In 1864, the Civil War hadn't ended yet, so Bass is going maybe back and forth through the Indian Territory back to Texas um, to 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 see her uh, because uh, they end up having children uh, by the time uh, the war ends, uh, 1865. Uh, so Bass is between 1865 and 1875. He is in. Uh, the Indian Territory and also the western part of Arkansas because he decides that he wants to move and start farmsteading, uh, you know, and ranchsteading in Van Buren, Crawford County, Arkansas. Another important thing that happens during this time period is the Arkansas uh, militia wars because in 18th, the, the, you know, the emancipation happens and then uh, 13th amendment happens. So Bass is now a free person, uh, as a result of law. And he doesn't have, he has no fear of being a, uh, a fugitive slave anymore. Um, and, uh, because he knew about the fugitive slave act of 1850 that, you know, if he was found anywhere, he could be returned back to the uh, the Reeves in uh, in uh, Grayson Grayson County. So he takes amongst himself to make himself of service. His skills, uh, his ability to to track, his ability to scout, uh, his ability to speak the native languages. 
and he becomes of service to government officials. And this is the time period in Arkansas that they have the militia wars, 1868 to 1869. The ninth governor of Arkansas, Powell Clayton, takes it, takes the initiative that he is going to rid Arkansas of the Ku Klux Klan. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens, the militia wars. Uh, for, you know, two years, uh, the state of Arkansas is eradicating the KKK. And it's my belief that Bass took up arms uh, to be a part of that uh, in fighting the, the, the KKK. Because in 1870, right after the militia wars, he actually moves his family to Van Buren, where he knows it's safe. Uh, and he brings his mother, brings his mother's sister, his aunt, and he brings his wife and their their uh, kids, uh, him and Jenny's kids. So he's there in Van Buren, and um, he's making himself of service to the government officials, the U.S. Marshals, you know, the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Uh, you know, folks that want to go back into the Indian Territory across the Arkansas River. In 1871, the U.S. Marshals uh, uh, get a warrant for three men that have stolen some horses in the Cherokee Nation. Uh, so they form a posse, and I believe Bass is one of the, the scouts, you know, or is the scout and tracker uh, for uh, Marshall Owens, who goes into the Cherokee Nation and arrests these three men. One of those men was Wyatt Earp, uh, the, uh, the legendary lawman from the OK Corral. And he is taken, to, you know, back to uh, Van Buren. And it's unclear whether it's Van Buren or whether it's Fort Smith, because the court in Van Buren, uh, right around that time, moved to Fort Smith, uh, uh, Wyatt Earp, uh, they, they bond out at $500, and that's the last time we see ba- uh, Wyatt Earp in the Indian Territory uh, because Wyatt Earp goes to uh, Kansas after he jumps bail. The time period up until 1875, that's when Bass gets his notoriety in regards to being this awesome posse man, this awesome tracker, uh, this awesome scout. So when Grant uh, Grant, uh, is looking to replace Judge Story for the Western District of Arkansas because Judge Story is corrupt, he appoints Judge or, uh, you know, Charles Isaac Parker uh, to the bench in Western District of Arkansas. And then Parker says, hey, uh, President Grant, uh, I'm going to go, but I only want one stipulation here, and that is I have, there is no appeal after I rule on the bench. And, you know, President Grant agreed to that. So Parker ends up in Fort Smith, Arkansas in 1875, and he, you know, looks for a few good men. Well, uh, to, to, you know, be his justice, you know, his arm of justice. And he is, uh, there's a story that says, you know, Marshal Fagan uh, hires 200 marshals. No, he didn't hire 200 marshals. That's what they were authorized. But at any given time, there was only 50, 50 or so marshals. Uh, so that's like a, a little thing that you, you'll see. There wasn't, 
you know, 200 marshals riding into the Indian Territory. And you got to remember, the Indian Territory was uh, comprised of the western edge of Arkansas and the entire state of present-day Oklahoma, 75,000 square miles. And that was one of the reasons why they moved the court from Van Buren to Fort Smith was because it cut off about 100 miles, 150 miles of those marshals riding back into the Indian Territory. made it a lot, a lot easier to just cross the river on a ferry uh, into the Indian Territory. Uh, but but Bass, Bass is, is sought out because Parker wants good men. And Parker, you know, personally finds out about Bass and, and, and deputizes him as, as one of his uh, deputy marshals. Uh, because he says, you know, I'm not hiring school teachers. I'm hiring fear, you know, uh, fearless men that are that's going to uphold the law. Uh, because Parker believed in uh, the only way that he could deter uh, was the certainty of punishment, um, and that's sort of where we get the the term uh, hanging judge is because Parker hung uh, six men at one time within that first month where, when he arrived in, uh, in uh, May of 1875 in uh, Fort Smith. Uh, you see it, you know, that scene played out in uh, different movies and, uh, you know, True Grit, where there's six men or, you know, I think some of them show only four, but it was actually six men that were hung at all at once. And uh, that, to me, uh, sets up this two-handed justice is uh, you have uh, Parker, you know, dishing out the punishment, but you also have these marshals, these deputy marshals going into the Indian Territory. The Indian Territory, it belonged to the Indians. It belonged to the Indians and also the Indians, those civilized tribes, also owned slaves and uh, that they brought with them uh, on the Trail of Tears, uh, about 2,000. And so those slaves, uh, most, you know, not most, but majority of them interbred with the, uh, the Indians. And so now you have a, a large segment of folks in the Indian territory that are of mixed ancestry, Indian and black. Um, so the Indians, they freed their slaves before Abraham Lincoln did. And, uh, those slaves were referred to in the Indian territory as freedmen. Uh, so a lot of people in the Indian Territory, uh, it being that each nation had their own police force, uh, and they referred to them as Indian Light Horsemen uh, Police, uh, were cross-deputized as well because in the Indian Territory, uh, the only jurisdiction for an Indian was their tribal police uh, unless they committed a crime against uh, a person of the United States or, or an Anglo. Uh, so you had this dual justice system in the Indian Territory. Uh, you had the, you know, the U.S., uh, you know, deputy marshals, and then you also had the tribal Indian police. And when they rode in to uh, the territory, uh, most of the time you had uh, deputy marshals riding with an Indian light horse policeman that was cross-deputized. Um, so they rode into the Indian Territory from Fort Smith, and that trek would last them maybe two, three months. Uh, 
covering a distance of maybe 800 miles round trip. Uh, and what they would take on those trips was a, a wagon uh, for supplies, you know, uh, a, a guard, an extra guard person, uh, you know, uh, a posseman, uh, maybe one of the uh, Indian Light Horse policemen or maybe another, uh, you know, uh, deputized uh, U.S. Marshal and a cook. Uh, and they would start their start their trek. You know, Bass was known for for having disguises uh, and using disguises. So he would also have to have horses that were unshod, uh, because the you know when you in the Indian territory, if you if you had a shoe on your horse, then most likely you were somebody with with the government. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you had to have unshod horses that you had to bring with you. He also, he also had to have ammunition, you know, extra ammunition, other weapons, um, you know, as well. And uh, so this was all packed up in his in his wagon. And uh, we sort of think, okay, uh, they called it a tumbleweed wagon, but we sort of think, we go back and look at, you know, this Hollywood film that, the wagon was not a wagon that consisted of bars, you know, steel bars to capture these prisoners uh, and, uh, and and haul them back, uh, you know, back to Fort Smith. Uh, majority of the time, they ended up walking back. And uh, for whatever reason, sometimes they couldn't walk back, then Bass would uh, hire a wagon or buy a wagon uh, and another rangeman to uh, put the prisoners in to, to haul them back to Fort Smith. And... It's, you know, uh, something that Bass had to have, you know, a keen sense of, one, he had to be aware of the weather. You know, we all know that Oklahoma has tor- tornadoes, uh, you know, we, you know, that severe weather, whether it be hot or whether it be cold. And that was one of Bass's, you know, things is that he's always like, you know, qu- being quoted that, Whenever I leave Fort Smith, the weather is always bad, you know, or always cold. <laughs> so, uh, but it's it's one of those things that Bass knows the land and he knows the people because it was a lot harder for a white Anglo uh, marshal to ride into the Indian Territory because uh, they were they were not trusted. Uh, so Basket. Uh, befriend, uh, you know, Indians and freedmen uh, a lot quicker than, uh, uh, you know, an Anglo Anglo deputy marshal. And you also think that during this time period, the Oklahoma land rush has not happened yet. And so, therefore, the people that were in the Indian Territory, about 20,000 of them, uh, were there illegally. And if they were there legally, then they were leasing and uh, sharecropping with with the Indians. Um, You know, but we sort of say, you know, of those uh, people that were in the Indian Territory, uh, you know, Anglos, uh, other, you know, uh, freedmen, you know, outlaws, that was about 15,000. So the majority of people that you came across uh, in the Indian Territory, which comprised of a lot of different nationalities, uh, they were illegal because they were trying to escape the law. Uh, since there was no law, you know, to be, uh, if they got caught, to be brought back anywhere. And that was the reason why, 
the Western District of Arkansas took authority over the Indian Territory to uh, to bring justice. So what so what happens is that in 1875, Bass is deputized as a marshal, and he's given the authority to, you know, um, be the judge, jury, and executioner of Anglo's of whites, uh, and that's unheard of. That's unheard of. Um, you know, it's, this is a time period that you know, uh, even though it's after the war, it's, you know, it's during re- Reconstruction. The the, the 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 racial tension was still there. Uh, Bass experienced a lot of that, uh, you know, when he rode out uh, into the Indian Territory. Uh, there were times that he would come across people that did not respect his badge, uh, even though he had, you know, all the authority of anyone else wearing the badge. And, uh, and there were times that people would, in the towns, would take up issue with a... Uh, a black lawman, uh, you know, arresting an Anglo uh, in regards to bringing, you know, local charges up uh, against that against that lawman, and uh, those were the things because Bass experienced that back in 1875. There was a case, you know, Bass Reeves B A Z Reeves versus the state of Arkansas, and it was uh, uh, for you know uh, aggravated assault, and it was dismissed. Uh, just like a lot of other uh, people that fought during the uh, militia wars were brought up on charges. And that's one thing we got to say is that Marshall Fagan uh, was was there for just a little bit uh, when Parker got there because Parker brought on another U.S. Marshal that replaced Fagan, and that was Upham, Marshal Upham. And Marshal Upham, Upham was a Confederate, but he also switched over to uh, the side that fought on the militia wars uh, in Arkansas. So he became a, a KKK fighter uh, within, the, within the Arkansas State Militia. So, and then that's where you have the Republicans and the Democrats. That was a big issue uh, back then. And you had the issue with people being carpetbaggers coming from the North. Um, so it, it, you have this now, this person that uh, Bass may have fought with alongside uh, Marshall Upham. And uh, they had a good working relationship in, in Fort Smith. And so Bass is doing excellent work as a posseman himself with other marshals. Uh, he's doing excellent work uh, on his own. Uh, there's times that he would also uh, hire his own sons, his oldest sons, uh, you know, Newland and Robert, uh, to be, you know, a guard or, or to be one of his posseman. Um, so he did use his family, his sons as well, uh, to to uh, be in his uh in his party, Bass had only rode with a select number of, of people. He didn't ride with with anybody and everybody. Uh, he had, he trusted only a select handful of people to ride with him, um, because not only was Bass a a uh, he wasn't the only black lawman in the Indian Territory. There were about fifty others throughout this time period of uh, eighteen seventy five up until nineteen. 
uh, 07 when Oklahoma State had occurred. Uh, so these these marshals uh, would would ride also with bass um, in the Indian Territory. One one thing is that uh, uh, it's noted in many many newspapers is when bass came back to Fort Smith, he would have a wagon load of, of prisoners, maybe, you know, 10, maybe 15. I think the highest was he ever had brought back were, was a number of 19. And uh, he collected, you know, rewards on these people, sometimes amounting to the hundreds of dollars, maybe into the thousands of dollars. Uh, he made a lot of money. Uh, you know, there were no bounty hunters uh, back in the day. Uh, the bounty hunters were, were the lawmen or the railroad agents. Um, but, you know, it was one of those things that, you know, you sort of say, uh, yeah, he, he was uh, he was well paid for what he did. Uh, he he was um, a person that never got shot. Uh, other, well, I mean, scratch that. He did get shot once in his left leg above his knee. Uh, and it was never reported, uh, but that was, you know, a shootout. A, a gentleman got a, uh, a draw on him, shot him first, and but Bass ended up shooting and killing him. Uh, but that's where he says, you know, yes, you can shoot fast, but you can't shoot accurate. <laughs> you know, but uh, but anyway, that's but he did. That's that was the reason why he used a cane later on in his uh, in his career, or seen with a cane. Is that he had that that leg injury on his on his left leg? Um, the amount of prisoners uh, throughout his career, uh, people that have been arrested and brought to justice, uh, there's a number of three thousand, uh, and that was given about maybe ten years before he actually ended his career. You know, uh, so there's another thousand that you would add to that. Until he ended his career in in nineteen uh, ten, so he arrested four thousand people throughout his law enforcement career, and had a number of twenty kills uh, in the, in when it was necessary, uh, because most people think you know the number is thirteen or fourteen. It's actually twenty uh, that he that he. Uh, had to use deadly force. Um, the the time period of when uh, Bass uh, was in the federal service, he worked out of Paris, Texas, uh, for the Eastern District of Texas twice. Uh, once in 1889 on some special assignments uh, catching horse thieves, but he was permanently assigned to um, Paris in. Uh, 1893 through uh, 1897. And Paris is unique is because that's when we get the first lady marshal, uh, uh, F.M. Miller, is uh, is working out of uh, Paris, Texas as well. So I sort of think, hey, maybe at some time, maybe Bass rode with a with a lady marshal. <laughs> you know, it's one of those one of those things. It it, it could have happened. You know, there's no record of it, but it could have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but and that's what you get in when you start researching and Bass and looking at the 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 papers. Uh, it's really hard because it because of the discrimination that was within the press to 
report black, you know, uh, accomplishments. Um, you know, he would be referred to as the Negro uh, Deputy uh, Marshal Bass Reeves. Uh, and then, you know, there's times that you knew he arrested a certain person, but the arrest was, you know, made by a deputy. He wasn't given, his name wasn't put out there. Uh, so that's, that's you know, you go back and look at those uh, archives, archival newspaper records. Uh, he is there, you know, he's there arresting people. He's there, you know, uh, he's even uh, one story where it's reported that he was shot and killed by Ned Christie, <laughs> which we know is false. <laughs> so, but uh, as far as, as far as Bass, uh, he worked in the uh, Paris, Texas, uh, Eastern District of Texas. Uh, and then after 1896, 1897, he moved to Muskogee, uh, which is the part uh, of the Indian Territory uh, Court uh, that has jurisdiction. And uh, so he's there, you know, 1897 uh, until, uh, you know, 19. 19- 07, November 16th, 1907, when is the, you know, Oklahoma statehood. Uh, and then after the Oklahoma statehood, he goes into uh, Muskogee, um, Oklahoma Police Department as a, uh, as a beat cop uh, patrolling the, uh, the, black, the black neighborhood in, in Muskogee. And uh, it's, it's said that, you know, crime did not exist when he was the, uh, the beat person uh, for that, that community, it did not happen. Um, because we know that Bass was a six foot two, 190 pounds, you know, when he started off in 1875. You know, we knew he was a big man. Most mm-hmm. people were only five foot seven, five foot eight at the time. Um, and you think of a person being, you know, the, uh, six foot two, 190 pounds, that's pure muscle. Um, you know, and thinking uh, how he could have developed his muscle, muscular strength and stature uh, as a slave doing, doing you know, manual labor. Um, you know, there's stories of Bass early on where he pulls a, a steer out of a, a, mud, a mud pit uh, on his own. And, uh, you know, there's stories of Bass uh, that could whoop anybody with his bare fist. And so it's it's a lot of things that Bass has uh, that he uses to last to last thirty two years as a deputy U.S. marshal and three years as a Muskogee policeman because the Indian Territory around Muskogee, around Fort Smith, uh, about eighty miles to the west, they called it the Deadline, where the uh, MKT, Missouri, Kansas, and Texas train line uh, went. That was the most deadliest place for for U.S. deputy marshals, for, you know, for deputy U.S. marshals, is that their lifespan, uh, or they, they, they had the most loss in that in that area uh, in the history of the U.S. marshals. Mm-hmm. Um, Bass, Bass was, was so well-liked that uh, Bell Starr, and him were friends, uh, you know, sometime around, you know, uh, the late 1880s, early 90s, uh, uh, Bass's, oh, I'm sorry, uh, you know, before he was moved up to Muskogee, um, he rides up to uh, 
Bill Starr's uh, house in uh, Younger's Bend. Uh, They're off of the Canadian River. And he approaches her house, and she has company, you know, Dr. Mooney and his wife, Ella, you know, which is Bill's personal physician. And Bill Starr has these Great Danes out there in her yard on her porch, and these Great Danes get to barking. And so she says, you know, excuses herself to Dr. Mooney and his wife. And she goes, I want to see what the dogs are barking about. Well, she goes out and says, there's Bass riding up. She tells Bass, come on inside. Bass comes inside, introduces himself as, you know, Bass Reeves, Deputy U.S. Marshal to, you know, the doctor and his wife. And Bill Starr interjects and says to Dr. Mooney and his wife, uh, Mrs. Ella, this is Bass Reeves. He is my friend, and he's welcome here anytime. Hmm. That's out of Bell Starr's own own mouth. Is he saying this? This is quoted uh, in a book by uh, Doctor Mooney's son that he that he wrote. Uh, hmm. But it's it's one of those things that you sort of say, "Wow," because we put that all together, and guess what happens with uh, with Bass? Bass ends up being the mentor of Bell Starr's son. Eddie Reed, who becomes a deputy U.S. Marshal uh, for for Judge Parker, uh, you know Eddie Reed was you know sent to, to prison for horse thieving. Uh, you know he he comes back and Parker says, Eddie, I think you deserve a better better life and a second chance. I'm going to give you an opportunity to be a deputy U.S. Marshal. He says, Bass, take him under your wing and show him all the fine stuff that you know, so that he can do his job. And that's what they did. That's what they did. Because one of the last people that was uh, that was hung and executed mm-hmm. on the gallows in Fort Smith was a uh, person that Bass and Eddie Reed uh, arrested, and through their investigation, uh, because this person had committed murder and tried to cover it up by having two campfires in their camp. Uh, you know, the second, you know, campfire was set up next to a tree. Um, when Eddie and Bass go back to investigate, uh, they determined that, oh, this camp shouldn't have campfires. It should only have one. Well, they take the second campfire up against the tree and they push back the ashes and they start seeing blood and they, and they find more blood that, you know, the ground is really dry and the blood has seeped down into the cracks. Well, they dig this up and they put it into their their saddlebags with some other stuff that they found. Um, and that's one of the first times that I can see that where a lawman has taken forensic evidence back to court and given testimony for it to get a conviction. And uh, and they he was hung. He was the last person that was hung in the gallows there in Fort Smith. Um but we we have this this person of Bass Reeves uh, mentoring Bell Starr's uh, son, and Judge Parker knew that. that was one of the main things he said. Well, you know, uh, Bass, you know, you know Bell Starr, Bass. Um, I want you to take her son. Well, Eddie ended up getting in a gunfight uh, and getting killed, um, which, which which was unfortunate. But it's again speaks to how deadly it was in the Indian Territory um, when you were a, a deputy marshal. Uh, you know, so Bass, hold was, on. Uh, hold on. Bass was bushwhacked. Hold you know, on. he was, uh, you know, attempted, yeah, but they missed, you know. Uh, but it's it's one of those things you sort of say, how could this person walk in the valley of death 
for 32 years, you know, and so when I do this here, I do the living history, I do the reenactments, um, and I portray him uh, on stage. I become bass. You know, I do everything I can to learn about his history, uh, learn about his wardrobe, his his uh, weapons. You know, I carry two Colt, uh, you know, 45, six shooters. You know, I carry them butt forward. Uh, you know, and it's like I carry a Winchester 1873 uh, with the 24-inch barrel uh, with uh, um, in, in 44 40 caliber. Because um, Bass was known to use his rifle more so than his six shooters, they were uh, they were the six shooters were backup, but the rifle uh, was his go to uh, because he uh, made he used that rifle with great accuracy. He was an expert marksman uh, because he grew up shooting, he grew up hunting, uh, he grew up. You know, going being taken to these Indian uh, turkey shoots, and a turkey shoot was you tie the turkey up on a, you know a line, and you uh, ride by and you shoot the turkey's uh, head off. Um, and he got he was so good at that and made so much money for the for the Reeves uh, for for George Reeves that he was no longer allowed to compete because he made it to where nobody would want to enter because they knew he would win. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so. You know, but he would, he was called out to make a shot. Uh, Leo Bennett called him out when he was working in Muskogee on uh, this person that, uh, this criminal that had, uh, barricaded himself. Uh, they couldn't get to him. And so, uh, Bass is called, you know, uh, from Muskogee, goes up to where, uh, these other marshals are. And this, the light is getting, the sun is starting to set. And the outlaw gets on his horse and starts to ride away. Bass says, I'm going to shoot him in the neck. <laughs> he took the shot at about 500 yards and made it. And, uh, and that's, and that's something that he was that, he was that good with his, with his, with his weapons. Um, and, uh, to me, um, that, you know, allowed him to, uh, to be successful. And there's one more thing being that he couldn't read or write, uh, he had to memorize his, his warrants. You know, people within the court system there, even Judge Parker would, you know, read him the writ, read him the warrant, uh, and say, hey, these are the people that I need for you to bring back. And Bass had a system, and we, we talk about that disability. Well, that disability was his, his increased ability to memorize, his increased ability to recall. Uh, so, therefore, he didn't have a handicap in regards to bringing in the wrong person. He never did. And uh, he was called upon, you know, many times, you know, in special circumstances to, to make those difficult, uh, you know, uh, serving of the subpoena, serving of the writ, you know, serving of the warrant. And uh, he he did it. He did it with efficiency and accuracy. Well, hold um, on. It, we're at 55 minutes. We We got to end it. Will you come back yes, and continue? Okay. Uh, Is there one that was thing? bass? That was that was bass, and I and I and that's that's me when I portray him in living history, and um, uh, it's it's one of the things that has taken me to this point to where uh, I've I've done things worldwide. Uh, you know the comic book series uh, that's coming out through Allegiance Arts. Um, the, you know, 136 right. page novel, uh, but it's. 
it's 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 now Bass is in the mainstream media, and he he should become a household word, mm-hmm. uh, especially within the uh, the Western uh, uh, history folks. Will, will you come back? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So, folks, this is fifty five minutes, fifty six minutes. And as you can tell, Ernest can talk, and I'll let him talk because he's a great storyteller. I, I sat there with my eyes closed and listened to the whole thing and envisioned Bass doing these things, living his life, and I appreciate Ernest for coming on. We were going to talk about Yellowstone and his experience there on the TV show in 1883, the TV show. We're going to bring him back and do that later. Um, but this Bass Reef story was just too amazing to tell, and it turned out differently than I expected, and I'm glad it did. Of course, I want to thank the folks at the Tombstone Epitaph, Arizona's longest-running newspaper, and the folks at the Wild West History Association at wildwesthistory.org. Um, I think that we're going to wrap it today. Anything else? Quick minute. You got anything left? Where are you going to be? Uh, 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 there's uh, things coming up with uh, 1883, the Bass Reef story. Okay. Uh, there's things coming up with, uh, that's Taylor Shirt in eight episodes. It'll be on later on this year on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, I'm doing a lot of personal appearances. Uh, one, I'm going to be in St. Joe, Texas, uh, for the Cowboy Symposium, the real Cowboy Symposium. Well, I think that one, um, we don't want to date that because by the time they listen, it could be over. But if you want to find them, and we got to go, if you want to find them, yes. you can find them on Facebook. That's the best place by yes, just sir. typing in his word. How do you spell your word? Marsh. M-A-R-S-H. Google. Or go to imdb.com and uh, Google my name, and that brings up all my uh, credits and television movies and uh, personal appearances. There you go. All right, folks, uh, we appreciate you a bunch. Uh, Please leave a rating and a review no matter where you're listening to on iTunes or Spotify or iHeartRadio app. Uh, You can also find the podcasts on uh, YouTube at my uh, YouTube page, which is Cochise County underscore travels. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, uh, as well. Um, same name, Cochise County underscore travels. I appreciate you a bunch. Uh, safe travels, and we'll see you soon.